Hey, you know what? If you are glad to be here this morning, would you all just say amen? Yeah? Okay. If you wish you were at home sleeping still, would you just say boo? Good, 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 good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't put you on the spot. No, it is good. It is true what Joe said. It is a special thing to be here on a Sunday morning, and I am so glad to be with you, joining with you in worship. Oh, my goodness. Man, that was amazing. And uh, to just hear from God this morning. So before I dive in, I just want to pray for our time because I think that God has a word for us this morning that could change our perspective on how we live our lives on a daily basis. So let me just pray. God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for the the special moments we have together on a Sunday morning. It's not a lot of time in the grand scheme of things, and yet it is so incredibly meaningful. And so we just, God, we are just so grateful to be here. And I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. We believe that your word is living and breathing, that it is active in our world, that it is active in our lives. And may you activate our faith in a way this morning that maybe it has gone dry. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the newest business models out there is that of a social media influencer. Y'all know what that is? You know what a social media influencer is, right? So the concept is pretty simple. Essentially, you um, can gather a bunch of people following on a social media platform of your choice, right? Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. And it'll, you can get to the point where advertisers or people who pr- produce products or services will pay you to talk about their product or their service, right? Because of the influence that you have in social media and the community you have following you, they'll pay you gobs of money at times to share their product with your following. And so they'll ask you to do a sponsored post. And in many cases, influencers can earn hundreds of thousands of dollars just sponsoring their product in one post. And if you're really lucky, like some celebrities, like Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi and Ariana Grande, it could pay you millions of dollars per post. Some of you are like, TikTok, let's do it, you know, like, follow me. Yeah, yeah. So, like, economically, this is sort of a new phenomenon. It's been around, you know, it's come around the last decade, actually really the last five years. And it's weird because seemingly random people become these wealthy, well-known influencers on their TikTok account. And that, but here's the thing. Sociologically, this phenomenon of influencing has been around since the beginning of time. People have been influencing others since day one. Listen, y'all remember Genesis chapter three? Some of you are like, well, maybe. Do you remember when Adam was influenced by Eve? to eat the fruits, right? No, nothing against Eve, all right? Just the reality. Somebody laughed way too hard at that. I'm sorry, that's not good. Just the reality that influencing is something that's existed since the beginning of time. Here's the thing, whether you like it or not, the people around you have an influence on you. And whether you like it or not, you have an influence on the people around you. The question is, What kind of influencing are you having? And more specifically, what kind of influence does Jesus want you to have? So as we jump back into the book of Acts, uh, we're going to take a look at our influence in our world, and I believe the opportunity that exists 
for us in the Word of God. So if you haven't done so yet, open up your phone, download or open up the YouVersion app, the Bible app. You can follow along with everything we're going to talk about this morning. Go to More and Events in there. Great tool to use. Or if you're going old school this morning and you got your scriptures with you, we're going to be in chapter 17. And so as we enter chapter 17, I want to remind you of what just happened with Paul and Silas. If you weren't here last week, just a quick reminder. They're locked in this prison in Philippi, and this massive earthquake hits. Not just some small tremor, a massive earthquake. The, The Bible tells us that the earthquake shook so hard that the foundation of the prison crumbled, that the doors on the prison cells opened, that the chains that they were locked to fell off. And in a resu- as a result of this, they had every opportunity to just take off. Like it was, you know, scot-free, get away. And yet we find that Paul and Silas stay for good reason. They end up leading the jailer to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they go to his home, and there's this beautiful scene again where this family comes to Christ, they're baptized, they care for Paul and Silas, and this new community begins to get formed in Philippi, a community that Paul would later write from a different prison cell many years later to encourage them and to seek out joy in their life. And then after this incredible scene, Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that they move along. They move on from the town of Philippi, which is where we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Are you ready? Great. Verses 1 through 3. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Now look, this was Paul's strategy. We talked about this a little bit last week. This was his strategy. He would go to a new city, he would go to a new town, and he would go straight to the synagogue or the temple there. Now we found last week in the end of chapter 16, when he gets to Philippi, there isn't a synagogue. So he ends up going to this gathering of people that are worshiping God, that are Jewish in nature, or they're uh, they're just seeking the Jewish God that they've heard about. He does that there. But he goes now to uh, this new city, and he realizes, hey, look, there's this synagogue. And so I'm going to go there and I'm going to, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And this was his strategy. You know, Paul wasn't just flying by the seat of his pants. He had a very sound strategy on how he wanted to teach people about Jesus. And he would start always, if he could, in the local synagogue. And it was a good place to start because you have an audience who already understands the background and the history of the Jewish faith. Remember, we are the recipients of a faith that started with Abraham in the Old Testament. It didn't start with Jesus. It started with Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it. And so he would go to the synagogues and he would start with the Old Testament. He would talk about the prophecies. He would talk about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And then he would connect the dots for people and say, and by the way, Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of that. Now, when he does this, the same results seem to happen. Right? And with each stop, it just seems like he just gets the same results. Here's what happens, verses 4 through 5. Some of the Jews who were listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. 
They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Now, like every other city they visit, there's a number of people, as they preach this new gospel message to the people in the synagogue, there's a number of people who become Christians, who become a part of this new community that's going to be referred to as the church. And there's also a bunch of other people, mostly Jewish leaders and locals, who become jealous and they try to get rid of Paul and Silas. Now, unfortunately, in this text, there's this new believer we hear about named Jason. This is really the only place we hear about him, who sort of gets caught in the crossfire of everything. They can't find Paul and Silas, so they're like, well, we heard that this guy is now a Christian. Let's get him in prison. Let's make sure that Paul and Silas know that we're not going to let this happen, right? And it just goes to show you how angry, how angry some of the Jewish leaders and locals could be in these cities where Paul began to preach about Jesus as the Messiah. If they couldn't find them, then they'll find someone to blame. They'll find someone to throw in prison. Verse 6, it says, not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some other believers and said, and they took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they're here disturbing our city too, and Jason has welcomed them into his home. Poor Jason. I mean, the guy just like eating dinner. Next thing he knows, he's standing before the city council. Nobody wants to go before the city council, do they? Even in Scottsdale, I don't want to go before the city council, <laughs> right? They're all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus, which is ironic because a good God-fearing Jew would never profess allegiance to Caesar alone, right? The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to postpone, and then they released them. Just chaos. Now, at times, I find that the book of Acts feels a little bit like a broken record. Like if you read the book of Acts, it's like the same thing happens over and over and over again, right? Paul goes to some city, some believe, some hate him, somebody throws him in prison. He goes to another city, some believe, some hate him, they beat him and throw him in prison. He goes to another city, some believe, some hate him, he gets beaten and thrown in prison. And it happens city after city after city. And unbeknownst to Paul and Silas, this resiliency of their, right, to go from city to city, knowing very well, like, this is going to happen again, right? Let's just prepare ourselves. We're going to get thrown in prison. The whole thing's going to start again. This resiliency, as they go from city to city and experience the th same thing over and over and over again, is actually creating a reputation about them among the Jewish community throughout the Roman Empire. People have heard about these guys. They're causing trouble everywhere right? You know, Uncle Jim traveled to Thessalonica, and he was like, I was just in Philippi, and these dudes, you wouldn't believe what happened, Paul and Silas. Next thing you know, they show up there, and everybody knows about Paul and Silas. They're causing all this trouble. Their reputation precedes them on this broken record that they keep running round and round and round on. Now, I want you to look back at verse 6 because it's what they say about Paul and Silas that I really want us to hone in on this morning. It says that not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some other believers instead and took them before the city council. And as they stand before the city council, they say this, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world and now they're disturbing our city too. These people in Thessalonica have never met Paul and Silas 
but their reputation has preceded them. And they know that these men, Paul and Silas and their followers, have caused trouble all over the world, and now here they are doing the same thing again. Now, here's the thing. I I love the New Living Translation. It is the the translation we use primarily here at Genesis Church. But I don't know that the the translation of verse 6 quite hits the intent of what Luke wrote originally in the New Living Translation. So the English Standard Version actually, I think, does a little bit better job of describing what these men are really saying about Paul and Silas. That this reputation Paul and Silas have among the Jewish people, the Lewis, the leaders especially, in the Roman Empire, this version, I think, hits harder as to what they really think of them. Here's how the ESV says the same verse. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What are Paul and Silas known for? They're known for turning the world upside down. That's the, 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 the scuttlebutt. Love that word, by the way. <laughs> we just say that? Scuttlebutt. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes we say the Greek word. No, just scuttlebutt. Love it. The scuttlebutt on Paul and Silas is that they enter a city, tell people about Jesus, and then in the process the world that everybody knew in that city gets turned on its head. I mean, it's no wonder that the Jewish leaders in every other city, when they hear that Paul and Silas is in their midst, they're like, we got to get rid of these guys immediately. Why? Because they are not content with the status quo and they want to flip our city and our religion and our ideals. Uh, They want to flip it on its head all because of this person, Jesus, and we got to get rid of them. You know, I got to thinking about Paul and Silas, and I realized these were first century influencers. That's who Paul and Silas were, right? Like Charlie D'Amelio, she's got nothing on Paul and Silas. Some of you are like, what? Who's Charlie D'Amelio? I'm a little ashamed that I know that name, but that's okay. (laughs) I do know about that. The first century influence, their following has grown to the point that people they have never even met are being told about this influence of being people who turn the world upside down. And they're not peddling products on Instagram and TikTok. They're telling the greatest news the world has ever known. But their influence has grown to the point that it's reaching cities and communities they have yet to even visit. And this is first century Roman Empire. There's no internet. There are no cars. There are just brick roads that you can walk on. And yet their influence is spreading quickly. Through the living out and sharing of the good news of Jesus, the world around them is completely changing. And the leaders in the Jewish communities in these cities are terrified of what might happen if they come to their city. And even those who disagree with them and who want them dead, they can observe when they show up, things change. The world that we know gets flipped on its head. People start talking about Jesus. They start living differently. They start casting off all of this religious garbage that they've carried for so long, and the world around them starts to change. Stuff happens. And then I couldn't ask myself in asking, What is my influence on the world? 
you know, if, if Paul and Silas are, are men, are leaders in the church that we look up to, that we admire, that we, we sort of want to walk in the footsteps of as they followed Jesus and chased after this dream to see the church become a reality in the world. And their influence was people who turned the world upside down for the kingdom of God. Then, then what's my influence in the world? What's your influence in the world? Because it has to beg the question, well, was that influence that Paul and Silas had on the world, was it only reserved for them? I think that Luke would say, absolutely not. They were exampling this in the world, but this is reserved for all people. This is the kind of influence that all people who place their faith in Jesus are to have in the world, that we, Genesis Church, are supposed to be turn the world upside down kind of people. And it makes me ask the question, what is my influence on the world? What is our influence in the world we live in? What are we known for? What do those observing say about us? And just so I clear, when I say, you know, what is your influence on the world, I'm not suggesting that you or I have an influence on the entire world. I am saying that you have a world, a sphere of influence, if you will, that you live in. And what is your influence in it? What are you known for? Jesus said it like this. This is the kind of influence Jesus wanted us to have and wants us to have. He said in Matthew 5, you're salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts, a, uh, puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, th this is the influence that Jesus is inviting us into. Jesus is calling us to be influencers in our world, to bring flavor and light to a world that has lost its way. We're being called to influence the people in our lives through our words and through our deeds in a way that will lead them to see Jesus for who he really is so that their world will be turned on its head that they would see the truth of who the God of the creator of this world is and the kingdom of God that he's created and inviting them to be a part of. So let me ask you again, what is your influence in the world? Are you known for being a person who turns the world upside down for the kingdom of God? Or is your story one that would actually say that instead of influencing the world, you're more likely to be influenced by it. Because Paul would say, the same guy with this reputation, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know, what, know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Look, we live in this world, we get it, but when we place our faith in Jesus... Instead of being influenced by the world, Jesus is now inviting us to be salt and light, to be conformed and transformed and changed by his grace and his life or his love, and to become influencers in the world. 
We say it like this at this church. We want to be changed lives, changing lives. You know this, yes, some of you? This is what we're talking about, that we have been called into this new life. We have been changed by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And through that, we now want to be influencers in the world, blessing the world, loving the world, showing compassion to the world that they might know that God loves this world too. Now, to be fair, I'm going to assume that even if you struggled with being easily influenced by the world, which is, let me, let me just be honest, very easy to do. I'm going to guess that you're here today because you want to be an influencer in the world. You're here today because maybe you're sick and tired of the influence the world has had on you. It just keeps pulling you down and you are looking for something to influence you in a way, to change you in a way that you would have a positive transformational impact on the world around you. My guess is you're here today because you want to discover that. And so for Paul and Silas, they made a plan to become influencers in the empire, the empire of the Roman people by going to the local synagogues and sharing the gospel. They decided, look, we've been called to be influencers in the world, and this is what it's going to look like for us. And you know what? It's going to land us in jail. But Paul saw a clear opportunity to gain a platform to talk, and he took it. And in addition, Paul and Silas, they were incredibly relational about their influence as well. We read at the end of chapter 16 that they meet this woman named Lydia and they befriend her and they share the gospel with her and she becomes this new Christian and they go to her home and they meet their family and they eat together and they, they, they dine together and they baptize their, they build these relationships. They did the same thing with the jailer at the end of chapter 16. They, they make these friends along the way that they build relationships and they have influence in their lives and people like Jason who gets caught in the crossfire of all of this. They befriended him. They built a relationship with him and they had influence on his life so that he too might become an influencer in the world for Jesus Christ. You know, I always think, sometimes when I read this, I'm like, man, this is like way outside the bounds of my abilities. But in reality, becoming a turn the world upside down influencer isn't some enormous complicated thing. It really isn't. It really starts with asking, where has God placed me? And who am I in relationship with already that I can simply be salt and light to? It's that easy. Here's the reality. God has placed you in a very specific world. You have a world of influence unlike anyone else in the world. Do you understand that? The influence you have in the world around you is unique to you. Nobody has relationships with people like you do. There are people in your world that I will never meet that you, because of your faith, can have an enormous impact and influence on. You walk into very specific places and interact with very specific people every single day. And each day that you wake up, you have a choice to be an influence for the kingdom of God in those places to be a turn-the-world-upside-down kind of person. Right? You have a job. You have a school. that You have an opportunity to influence. 
You have friends and family that you have an opportunity to influence. You have communities outside of this church that you have an opportunity to influence. You have neighbors that you have an opportunity to influence. You have the opportunity to become a turn-the-world-upside-down kind of influencer in your world, to become salt and light to the people around you, to express your faith through words and action and have a positive effect on the world for the kingdom of God. How cool is that? You know, I think it's really cool, or really a, kind of a, it's a cool dream that we would become a church that when people maybe talk about us, they say, I don't know anything about Genesis Church. I just know that wherever they go, whatever they touch, things change. Wouldn't that be cool? And I already see it happening in small ways, by the way. You know, last Friday and Saturday, a little over a week ago, our leadership team and our staff we actually gathered together for a day and a half with a, a, a group that we brought in called Gromentum, a good friend of mine leads. And we talked and we dreamed and we strategized about this very thing. We say we want to be a thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. And what that also means is that we want to be turn the world upside down kinds of people. We want to be a church that has kingdom influence in our world. And so we spent a day and a half unpacking what that would mean for us to have the kind of influence on our community that would turn it upside down for the kingdom of God. And just so you know, some pretty amazing stuff came out of that time, and, and I promise you're going to hear about it in the days to come. But here's the deal. In the same manner that Paul and Silas had an influence in the world around them as turn the world upside down kinds of people, we've been called, Genesis Church, we've been called to be influencers on our own right. So here's what I want to challenge you to think about this week. Starting right now, even think about right now. I want you to ask yourself these three questions. The first question is this, and be really honest with yourself. What is most true of me? Am I an influencer for the kingdom of God? Or am I influenced by the kingdom of the world? What, what is most true of you? Second question where specifically has God given me influence? Because he has. He's placed you in a very specific place with very specific people. Where has God given me influence? And then to do the really hard work, and you might even want to sit down and start writing, in what specific ways can I be a turn-the-world-upside-down influencer in the world I live in? When you think of those relationships when you think of those places that you gather on a regular basis, to ask the question, how specifically could I be a turn-the-world-upside-down influencer in those places? Students, when you go to school, to ask yourself, how could I be a turn-the-world-upside-down influencer in the classroom, on my sports team, in my club, in student government, in choir, in theater, how could I be an influencer for God's kingdom there? For those of you who are going to go to jobs tomorrow, when you show up at work to ask yourself the question, what, what does it look like specifically for me to have an influence in this workplace through the work that I do, through the relationships that I have? What does that look like? To ask yourself those hard questions that we might be a church who gather on Sundays and that we would leave this place with the desire to be an influence for the kingdom of God in our world. 
That's the dream, to be changed lives who are leaving this place, changing lives through our influence, leading people to Jesus. Let's pray. God, it is with great humility this morning that I preach this text. I recognize how easy it is to be somebody who is influenced by the world and not seeing the opportunities to be salt and light, to be a turn the world upside down kind of person. And so I just confess that. I know that all of us in this room, we feel that, we sense that. And yet we gather this morning and we hear your word. And God, it is our desire to be people who go from this place to influence the world with love and compassion, with grace and truth, that the world might know that there is a God who loves them, who is calling them into an eternal relationship with them, who wants to change them from the inside out, that they might experience great joy and peace in their life. So I pray that the specificity of all of that would become very clear to us in the coming days, that we go to our workplaces and our classrooms and our grocery stores and our gyms and wherever else, God, that we gather, that we would be seen and known as people who are turn the world upside down kind of people, God. Thank you for the, the lives, the testimony of Paul and Silas, for their courage and their resiliency to just keep going that even though they know, man, we're going to another city, it's all going to happen again, that they know that their number one priority in this world was to influence it for your kingdom. May we be those same people, God. Most of all, I thank you for Jesus, for the influence that he has had on our lives, for the way in which through his Holy Spirit he has just turned our world upside down. That out of love that he would come and he would die, that we might experience forgiveness and new life. For that we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to remember the very influence that Jesus has had on our lives through his death, through his eventual resurrection. And so we're going to take communion together. So if you have faith in Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to be reminded of the influence and the change that he's had on your life, to be reminded of the incredible gift of his death for the forgiveness of your sins. And you may remember he gathered with those first disciples and he broke some bread during a meal and he said, listen, this is my body which is being broken for you. When you get together in these special moments, I want you to take it and eat it and remember me. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That through the shedding of my blood, a new relationship with God has been achieved. And so when you come together, I want you to take this and drink this and remember me. There's three stations around the room. There's one directly in the back. There's two on either side. All of the crackers, by the way, are now gluten-free. I know that that can be a problem for some people. Um, and there's uh, cups of juice there as well. You can take those. Also, there is a basket on each table. That basket is there for um, anybody who would like to contribute to our benevolence fund, which goes to help those in our community directly and outside our community with basic needs, food, shelter, etc. So if you feel compelled to give to that, you can. You can also do that online. And 
The band is going to lead us in a song as we, we take communion. Uh, so I invite you to the table to remember Jesus.